Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Joining us right now, the great, one of our favorites, Jason LaConfora, NFL insider for CBS Sports. Jason, good morning. Thanks for joining us. How are you? I'm well. How are you guys? We're doing Great. great. And we talked a lot this morning about what happened to Odell Beckham Jr. and his reaction to the injury. What was your take on what unfolded on Monday Night Football? Um, you know, I, I, the more I looked at the hit, I don't think it was necessarily dirty or uh, there was any malintent. I mean, there's going to be bang-bang plays. There's going to be collisions. There's going to be injuries in football. You obviously absolutely detest it even more than usual when it's the preseason because of how little sort of intrinsic meaning these games have beyond an evaluating tool for, for coaches and general managers. Um, you know, obviously it, it sounds like crisis averted. Everything Beckham said after the game, everything that I'm hearing this morning is, um, you know, that they, they're relieved they dodged the bullet here and they don't expect there to be long-term ramifications. But I guess what struck me the most was just the, the visual of him you know, kind of jogging, half jogging off the field. And then, I mean, I've been in that stadium many times. You gotta, you're got you going down this huge corridor to get to the locker room, and there's nobody with him in sight. It's like, that's the franchise, you know what I mean? Like, how I figured you'd have two trainers and, you know, whatever, an ambulance on standby if need be. Not that it was an injury of that significance, but I just found it kind of odd that he's trudging all the way around up to the locker room, and there's nobody else in the camera shot. Well, listen, this guy is a drama queen. I'd be interested to know what you're hearing around the league as far as the the, the perception of him. We know he's a great athlete, tremendous athlete. I mean, he can, he can wear your secondary out. But what's the consensus as far as what type of player he is outside of athleticism? Well, I mean, look, let's go back to his rookie year where he didn't really have much of an offseason, right? He had no real preseason. He misses four games for legitimate injury, comes back and takes the league by storm. Um, you know, he's a guy who gets a little nicked up, but, I mean, uh, he plays through stuff. Do, do guys love everything that comes out of his mouth and the GQ cover boy stuff and some of that that happens between, you know, Monday and Saturday? No, not everybody. Maybe not everybody's cup of tea, but I don't know anybody that doesn't respect what he does on Sundays and the way he comes to play. And you, you're going to get a little bit of that, you know, the showboat stuff or a little bit of the look-at-me stuff from, from a lot of receivers and, and a lot of skilled guys in the league. Um, that, that team's pretty pretty tight, that Giants team. And, um, you know, the, the, look, the, the, with every NFL franchise should have problems that are of the order of, you know, how much money do we have to give to this guy who – He's not, you know, he, he's, he's not getting arrested. He's not getting DUIs. He's not 
you know, he's not involved in drugs. He's not showing up on police blotters. Um, does he lose his cool on the field sometimes? Yeah, that's out of a co- competitive spirit. But, but trust me, um, you know, he's going to get his money and he's going to get it hand over fist. G. Owen Jones of Jason Lock and Fora, a guy who's still looking for his money, Le'Veon Bell. He's going to miss the third preseason game. He apparently turned down a deal, or there was really good discussions that they were close to a, a deal that would have paid him around $12 million a year. He reportedly wants closer to 15 or $15 million a year. How do you see this ending? You know, it's a bizarre situation. And actually, the, the, the first three years of the deal would have averaged over $13 million. So, you know, you've got Shady McCoy at the time, who's at eight, and he's, you know, like the next highest in the league, a little over eight, in terms of average compensation. And the Steelers, on a long-term deal, are willing to give this guy over 50% more, and it's still not enough. I mean, and he's been fixated on the 15 that, you know, Adrian Peterson kind of sort of got, but he never really reached the stage of the contract where he was making a pure 15 a year. But he's got that number fixated in his head, and he couldn't get beyond it, despite the fact that, the NFLPA thought the deal that was on the table was very strong. Uh, his his own agent, uh, Bell's agent, thought the deal was strong, but, but ultimately Bell never put put pen to paper. How does it play out? Le'Veon Bell's biggest concern should be when he does return, which at this point there'll be at a max probably two weeks of practice time for him, probably five to six real practices, those two, those sort of Wednesday, Thursday, and in some cases Mondays, depending on how teams do their schedule practices. He may get six of those. Is that enough for him to avoid a soft tissue injury, the kind of nagging injuries that have cost him three games here, two games there, a playoff game here? Because he, he, he now has put himself in a gamble-on-yourself situation. Instead of taking some long-term security, he's playing it out this year for 12, but he's a guy who has two-fold issues, off-the-field suspensions, on-the-field injuries, and that's, you know, some of that's up to him and some of that will be out of his hands, but you can go look at guys over the years who've missed a large portion of camp, especially guys who play collision positions like this, and then just see how quickly it takes before they end up on the injured list. It, it generally, um, you know, it, it, it happens quite a bit. JLC, you write that Sean McVay is winning over his football team and others as well. So young, youngest head coach in NFL history. How's he going about doing that? You know, he's he's really wise beyond his years. He, you know, his, his grandfather was a very distinguished NFL executive. He's been around this for a long time. He pretty much transitioned right from sort of college football player to NFL, you know, quality control guy. He's been around the Grudens and the Shanahan. Um, he's a human sponge. And he just, there's like an it factor to him. I mean, I've known him for, for a long time since he was coaching tight ends with the Redskins. And he's been, I mean, he's only 31, but he's kind of been around this for a decade now and worked his way up. He wasn't a guy who was given stuff. You know, he went from unknown quality control guy to working with different position groups to, you know, displaying a proficiency for offensive football to the point where, you know, a guy like Jay Gruden has him calling plays for him in his 20s. So, he, he's earned it. Um, he understands how to conduct himself in the locker room. He's seen things for better or for worse. He's been around as a young coach. A lot of unusual situations like that RG3 and Cousins thing in Washington, I think he's been exposed to a lot. And he just has some natural people skills, some ways 
that he engages and a natural energy about him that it's not going to overcome all the holes on that roster, and they're not going to be a great football team this year. But you could do a whole lot worse than Sean McVay figuring out if that quarterback you took first overall a year ago can actually play anything close to the level that you drafted him to play at. And he's got the veterans there buying in, and people see him as a young guy who can look beyond himself and and sort of figure out what each player needs to succeed and try to give that to him. Now, again, we'll see what the results are like on the field, but I do think he'll be there a long time. I mean, he, he's a guy who got a five- or six-year deal. Uh, I think he will see that through there and, and, and re-up there as well if, if they can keep him. He, he really is a bright young man. When's he going to be able to coach Aaron Donald? Well, you know, that's complicated a little bit by the Sammy Watkins situation now because, you know, and I was out there when they made the trade and, and talking to people, and, you know, Watkins is going to want to be paid. And you're getting him at age 24 with only controlling his rights for one year. Now you could say three years if you franchise him twice, but, you know, per his actual contract now, there's only one year remaining. And he's going to, if you're going to get him to buy in and say, yeah, I'm going to forego free agency and re-up with the Rams, even though we don't know if they have a starting caliber quarterback, you're going to have to pay him as a top-of-the-line receiver, even though he's hurt a lot. So if Aaron Donald sees that, if that happens, and the Rams are in a bit of a bind because they didn't come to any terms with, with, with Watkins before the trade, and he sees that you're going to trade, pay a guy who's never played a snap for us, you know, best to breed money at his position, then that, that's only going to further fuel Donald's argument that I'm not taking a penny less than what I think I'm worth because I am the best football player on that team. And he is the best football player on that team, I believe, by a wide margin. So the Rams have rolled over for everybody, you know, and, and that's sort of the, the bed that they've made. When you, you paid James Laurinaitis more than you had to and you, you paid Robert Quinn more than you had to, and you paid Tavon Alston, who's maybe a number three, four gadget receiver, you gave him number one receiver money, then Aaron Donald's going to sit there and say, well, I've seen it for everybody else, and I'm actually the best at what I do in the NFL. I, why? There's no, there's no home team discounts now. Not with you guys moving to L.A. and having 90,000 you know, 90, seat stadium and, and going from, from the St. Louis market to the L.A. market, and I'm your best player. So that, that could bleed into the regular season. Well, one guy who's not having to fight for his money apparently is the commissioner, Roger Goodell. When does that deal get consummated? You know, I, look, I, I know that there's reports of a five- or six-year deal, and, and I, I don't know what the term will be other than, in the end, it's certainly going to be a contract that takes them through 2020-2021. I mean, you've got the collective bargaining agreement expiring at the end of this decade, and clearly the league wants to show a sense of, strength and solidarity and unity that, you know, we love what we did the last time around and we're ready to send the same people into the room to negotiate again. And you also have the broadcast rights expiring, the over-the-air broadcast rights, and then I guess some, some you know, streaming rights and, and how they're going to continue to expand the presence of games on the Internet. And they've made a lot of money off that as well, and, and that's something else that's very much their bread and butter and that Goodell has been directly involved in. So I'm not surprised that they're going to do this. He doesn't want to go anywhere. He loves his job. And, I mean, look, he's paid to be the bad guy and be the bad cop. And, and mm-hmm. you know, as much as we think of commissioners as stewards of the game and maybe the fans commissioners, that's not true. I mean, there's, you know, 
players who run the league. Everybody else is a part of it, and he does the dirty work for them. And are all thirty one of them? Because right, the Packers don't have one set owner. Are all thirty owners in love with what Goodell and Park Avenue does all the time? Uh, certainly not. But um, are they against him enough to scrap it and throw somebody else in there two years removed from CBA negotiations? Heck no. G. Owen Jones with CBS NFL Insider, Jason Locke on four across the country on CBS Sports Radio. Uh, I don't think that this Ezekiel suspension, Ezekiel Elliott suspension, is going to be knocked down from six games like Ben Roethlisberger was from six to four different circumstances uh, altogether. Uh, what do you think will be the end result after appeal? I, I don't know, guys. This, this process, each of these sort of happen in a vacuum. They all have their own mitigating circumstances, their own... Um, degrees of evidence, uh, these letters that have been written to, whether it's the Saints for Bounty Gate or, you know, Brady for Deflate Gate or what was written and, and sent to Zeke Alley in his suspension letter. The letters are all a little different. The tone is somewhat different in different instances. Um, the degree and length of the investigations are different. You would think, logically, that they took over a year to do this, and it was their own investigation, and they had four outside people they consulted with who they showed the evidence to, and they all said, absolutely, we believe there's multiple instances of domestic violence here. And they just put a policy in place a few years ago, a new domestic violence policy, that says six times for a first offense. You would think on the face of it, and I get your point, and I would agree at a visceral level as well that, boy, this really looks like six games, but... You know, anything is possible. Uh, Greg Hardy, go back and look at the evidence there, and 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 the the allegations and the the physical evidence in terms of of the victim in that instance, and that went from ten to six. That blew my mind. So that just happened not that long ago. You know, last year Josh Brown somehow comes out of it with one. So I, I don't know, guys. Um, <laughs> I, I would think again based on their evidence and their policy that this looks like six games, but you never know. Jason, you wrote a pretty uh, lengthy piece on Michael Bennett and his kneeling during the national anthem. He's the son of a military veteran. He and his yep. brother, Martellus Bennett. And you, you, you seem to uh, suggest it's a unique situation considering the brass there with Seattle, but I'm seeing it all across the league. This is not going to end just because Colin Kaepernick has been made out to be a pariah, is it? No, it, it's it's not, and I think it's a galvanizing force for Seattle. I, I think it's a little different there just because of the way the owner and the general manager and the head coach, the way they let guys be themselves. And I think the fact that Seattle – now, I know the Browns this past week you know, had uh, you know more guys sit than, than ever before, but the fact that sort of the Seahawks took that, that mantle from Kaepernick and became – and really Bennett – himself kind of became the face of this doesn't surprise me because guys feel like that even though this is a super corporate league that is one team and one organization one group of decision makers who do let them make their own decisions and do let them sort of speak out and they empower them and they embolden them now it doesn't mean they agree with everything they do but go back in contrast with Pete Carroll said and it's in the story you're referencing you know, the day after Bennett sits versus what Hugh Jackson was saying even before a lot of his guys sat. It's, it's a different tone. It's a different tack. Um, it's a little more player-friendly. It's a little more I get you. 
I understand you. I know you're not doing this half-cocked. I get that you feel morally compelled to do this, and while I wish you would express it differently, I support you, I understand you, and I know that you're an upstanding, outstanding human being. I mean, Pete Carroll basically put his arms around Michael Bennett. Um, I I don't know that you hear that exact um, rhetoric anywhere else. I don't don't know that you hear people that sort of accepting of this. And I I mean, will it grow? I mean, I, I can't predict the next two days, much less, you know, four months of this country through the NFL season. But if, if there are more events like Charlottesville, if, you know, the response by government leaders to certain, you know, uprisings continue on the trajectory that they're on, then no, players won't be silenced. And they feel like when you talk to them privately that what Michael Bennett's doing, the easy thing is just take that paycheck, stuff it in your back pocket, stand up like everybody else, and forget about it. It's, 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 again, in that Seahawks locker room, what Bennett's doing is seen as selfless, not selfish. And I think it will inspire more guys to do the same. Then why did the Seahawks go out and sign Austin Davis ahead of Colin Kaepernick when they had an opportunity to if they're so welcoming? Is there something about Kaepernick that we don't know from the playing side of things? That he didn't look all that well, bad to me last year. No, I mean, I think in their situation, they, their, their starting quarterback doasn't really miss any time. Um, they have, they've been in a salary cap situation for quite some time. They were looking to sign someone to a minimum salary benefit contract that protects their cap. Not, not that Colin Kaepernick would make a ton, but he's not, he's not playing for $770,000. Um, and, you know, they, look, I at least give them, I at least give them respect for bringing the kid in and talking to him. Now, did he wow them in the interview process? Did he blow them away? Clearly not. But at least they investigated him and brought him in the building. Nobody's worked them out. I mean, Seattle wins playoff games. They're only they, but Seattle, New England, the only teams to win a playoff game each of the last five years. What the hell are the Jacksonville Jaguars doing? You know what I mean? Like, how's that quarterback room look? Like, I mean, I'm, I'm going to give Seattle the benefit of the doubt. And, again, they actually had the cojones to bring him in. Nobody else has. Look at some of these other quarterback rooms. It's it's ugly. But well, the Jets they won't even give the kid a phone call. Yeah, I mean, how about the Jets? And clearly, we know that that Woody Johnson and his political situation would probably uh, that wouldn't be a mesh. Uh, <laughs> they're they're a fit there. But uh, but yeah, I mean, I I don't I, I don't understand. Well, I, I don't have to understand it. I guess. Oh, you I just, understand. <laughs> you know what's going on. Yeah. Uh, what about right there in Baltimore, your backyard, and Steve Bashotti and 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 all the machinations that were going on, and all the ways he was trying to him and haul around this 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 issue and their quarterback situation. Any else? Uh, any any updates on that deal? He he was. They, they were they were excited. Colin Kaepernick. I mean, I what I reported in real time, and and look, they, they're in a unique situation there because. Jared Harbaugh has been on record since the owners' meeting saying there's nobody gets blackballed in the NFL. That doesn't happen. Like this is a meritocracy, and someone's going to need a quarterback, and he's going to make sense for them, and it's only a matter of time. And then you've got Jim Harbaugh, his brother, who's obviously been campaigning for Kaepernick to get a job, and they've got Greg Roman on staff, who worked directly with Kaepernick right. in San Francisco when he was playing his best. So if they didn't give at least extreme lip service to that idea then they were going to look like major league hypocrites. So they had, they were already in a little bit of a box there. So that's why you saw Harbaugh talk about it before the before he was asked about it. Before the media even asked him about Kaepernick, he came out of practice that day and was like, yeah, we're thinking about it. 
you know, and then the owner took it way too far and started ruminating publicly and pray for us and all that. And they got heavy handed with it and they botched it, but they never brought the kid in for a workout, nor did I think they would because, A, they fully expected Flacco to be back by the regular season, and they still do, and they're taking extra precaution with it because it's a back, and they don't want to aggravate it, but he'll start practicing next week. And they weren't, I mean, clearly this owner wasn't going to go all out and say consequences be damned. I mean, when you're standing out there in front of your, your season ticket holders saying, hmm, should I, shouldn't I, you're basically saying I'm not doing it. They never made the case for signing him. They just talked about it as a hypothetical. Hmm. So it's not like they were selling the messaging of, here's why he can help this community. It was always like, gee, I don't know if our community could handle it. <laughs> That's a very different tone to take. Um, and, and I think it's going to take a contending team. I'll, I'll go back to what I wrote in April and May. When, if or when Colin Kaepernick gets signed, it will not be because someone had a change of heart, some owner suddenly got progressive, or somebody did a whole bunch of research and said, our community can handle it. It will be because some team that thinks it's pretty good loses its starting quarterback, hates its backup over a period of a week or two, and says the only way to salvage the season is to bring this kid in and see what he can do. Until or unless we get to that point, it's, he, he will continue to be treated largely as a pariah. He, he's not really been treated as a guy who's on the available free agent. He's been treated more on some sort of exemplist to, well, we could maybe take work him out time. All right, it looks like we're losing, Jason. Yeah, we're losing you, man. We're losing. That's we. He gave us 22 minutes yeah. here, so we can. Uh, we, that's over a lot of time, dude. Yeah, right. So that was, he you. was approaching Nick Saban territory. You're hard-headed, so. man. You just will not learn. You asked the last question five minutes ago. <laughs> that's Jason Lockenfora, one of our favorites. <laughs> on- now with the MLB app, you can get baseball your way. Pick your favorite team, your favorite players, and get customized highlights, stories, and breaking news right on your home feed. Follow the action with Game Tip, where 3D replays add another dimension. Plus, notifications can keep you connected to every pitch, every hit, every game. The MLB app. Baseball, your way. Download it now for free from the App Store or Google Play. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trade parts used with permission.